Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. Well, we've actually, um, if you're just here for the first time today, you might have been away. We were actually in the middle of a series and it's called Charting Your Course for 2016. And this is actually the fourth week. And the first week, uh, we talked about God and his usage of words. And the second week, we talked about what God said about our words. The third week, we talked about our belief influences our words. And this week, we're going to talk about our words influence our life. Amen. So, we got up this theme about words. God started everything with words and he's going to finish everything with words. Jesus is the word made flesh who dwells amongst us, was manifested in the form of a man and everything existed, was created for and by him with words and he's going to wrap it up in words because if you read in the book of Revelation, when he comes back, he's going to be on a white horse and he's going to come back with his saints And he's going to wipe out his enemies. And in Revelation it says, there's a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth and he will speak the word and slay all of his enemies. Can you say amen to that? So our words influence our life. Your words influence your life. I'll tell you a little joke, you know, a pastor one day was asking his children, the smaller children in his Sunday school, and he said to the children, he said, children, can anybody tell me from the Bible perspective what a lie is? So little Johnny got up and he said, it's a, an abomination to the Lord and an ever-present help in time of trouble. <laughs> now, that, you don't have to teach your kids how to tell lies. They seem to do it naturally. I know when I was a kid, I told plenty of them. But you know, it is amazing where it's very humorous, but the Bible has a lot to say about our words and our confession, how they influence our lives and the courses of other people's lives, negative or in a positive way. There's a saying that says, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This is not untrue. Words can inflict much pain as much as a weapon, as much as a gun or as a sword. Words can affect people's lives. And I'll tell you a story. Many years ago, possibly maybe even about 20 years ago, we had, uh, I I remember I was finishing a meeting and I gave an altar call for someone who had never experienced the love of God. And there was a a young man visiting the church. It was his first time to the church and he came forward uh, and he was probably in his early 20s. And when he came out the front there, I just um, embraced him. I, I administered the love of God to him. And then all of a sudden I said, I feel that somebody has said bad words over you, that you are a no-hoper, that you'll never amount to anything. You are a total loser. And that's been a curse to your life. And I broke the power of those words off his life. And that man told me later after the meeting, that, man, that young man got saved that day and his life totally changed around because the word of God came and undid the damage that was done by somebody else. And he told me that when he was about 12 or 13... His parents split up and got divorced. And you know that hurting people hurt people, right? 
And people can say hurtful things, whether they mean them or not. And it affected this young man. And word for word, what I had spoken, what his father had said was word for word, what his father had said when he was a 13-year-old child. And he told me that he felt like he was under a curse and he lived under a cloud. And that day, the word of God came to intervene, to set free, to illuminate, to bring light, to set free. And if there's anybody here today, and there probably is maybe one or two, where you've let somebody else's word, maybe a person in authority, speak into your life and you've been like under a cloud, I just break the power of those words in the name of Jesus right now. In Jesus' name. Free! 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 Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So we need to be careful with our words, amen. Don't be frightened. I'm a nice person. I just hate the devil and he hates me. That's the, the devil and I agree I hate him and he hates me. But I love God and I love people and God loves you and you are people. So it's all good. It says in Proverbs 18 verse 21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. I'm not very techy, but I, was gonna, I wanted to get a picture to put up of a, a bowl of rotten fruit. And you sit up there and it's all going mouldy and all shrivelly and say, guess what, that's what we're having for lunch. So I'm not having that for lunch. But you know, often in our lives... We have created things in front of us by speaking bad things because it says here that you're going to eat its fruit. Who created that? Who, who prophesied that? Who spoke that in the future? You did. So we need to be careful what we're say, setting ourselves up for and we're trying to chart a better course for 2016. Amen? Now I Google this. It, um, it said... Um, I googled it to who said this, but Albert Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. If we don't like what we have or the way our lives are going, maybe we need to che be checking up what we have been saying. We need a check up from uh, the neck up. Amen? Notice it says in this verse... Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, I, I hear a lot of people preach, quote the scripture on television and they say, left and, they say life and death. But in the Bible it says death and life. Now, I wonder why that could be. Because I believe that the world's default is death. Unless God can tame your tongue with the word of God, you're going to have negative things coming out of your mouth. Now, we all know there are people in the world, business people, who are very positive, all sorts of things, but there, there is in their life where they are speaking death and have, ha having negative things comes into their life. Words are the building blocks of our lives. The words that we believe and speak are a direct influence on our lives, and often what we have today is a direct result of what we've said in the past. You know, there's a negative side of, of, of our words or confession. Yeah, I just can't wait till church is over. I'm just dying for a cup of tea. 
Oh, I got up this morning. Oh, oh, my back was killing me. Oh, the other day I was driving down the road. Guess what? I got a flat tire. And you know, they always come in threes, right? <laughs> that car is a piece of junk. And in the winter, when I'm in a hurry to go to work, that mongrel car, it never starts for me. <laughs> Nothing good ever happens to me. Who's ever said those things? Every time we go take the kids on a holiday, they all get sick. You wait and see. And every time flu season comes around, guess what? I'm always the first to get it. Woe is me. It's true, isn't it? I remember preaching this in the Northern Territory in Alice Springs once and a girl came to me and says, I said that over my car just the other day. Can I just tell you something? My cars are blessed. My cars last a long time. Our appliances last a long time. We had a washing machine that was that old when they came out to services. It was about like 15 or 20 years old. The guy said, we can't even find the serial number in our computer. I have a WRX car. It's a classic. We've owned it. It's a 1998 model. And I know the hoons get them. So do the older hoons get them. But my car has done 422,000 kilometres. It's got the original motor, the original motor box, and it's not had it. It goes like the wind. And how, that's not a coincidence. Because my words, I speak life over my cars, my vehicles. I speak life over my relationships, my marriage. I speak life over the pastors. I speak life over this church. I speak life over these people here. God wants us to be abundantly blessed this year, 2016. Why? Because he loves us. And he's provided everything that we need to have an abundant life. I've come that you might have life and you might have it more. Tell your neighbour more. More abundantly. Not just abundantly, more abundantly. So God wants us to be abundantly blessed, absolutely. But you know, even though he wants us to be abundantly blessed and he's provided things for us, those blessings don't automatically flow into our, our lives. I remember when Jenny was ministering, she quoted out of Deuteronomy 30, said that God said, I set before you life and, bless, ble- life and death, blessing and cursing, and if you don't know the answer, choose life, because the default isn't life. You have to choose it. You know, if it was automatically default life, we wouldn't have to ask for it. Everybody would be happy. Did you know out there, anybody live in the world with unsafe people? Do you know a lot of them are not happy campers? In 2 Peter, so in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, can we put that up on the screen? It tells us that grace and peace will be multiplied unto us. And it says that God has already, past tense, everybody say past tense. 
He has already given us all things. Tell me something that you have need of that doesn't come under the category of all. Past tense, he's provided them for us, yet people are still in need and lacking. Well, it can't be because God hasn't provided it. Maybe there's some other reason. And he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and all we need to know is know about this and how to appropriate it because he's given us exceedingly great and precious promises. You think just a promise would be good, but then that's not great. They're exceedingly great and precious promises. And everything you need in life, God has already provided for it. So whatever problem you have, you think, man, oh, this is a biggie. I don't think God's got an answer for this. Whatever you face in life, I don't care how queer, how weird it could be, there is an answer already in the Word of God to fit your situation. God is never caught out. He wasn't caught out when man fell in the garden. He already had a plan to send a Redeemer, to undo the damage, to reconcile us back to God. You're here or you're going home? All those blessings don't automatically manifest in our lives and why not? We first have to know about them and secondly, we have to find out how to appropriate them or how to get them to manifest in our life. Knowledge is power, right? More knowledge you have, the better choices you can make. So God has uh, made grace and peace to multiply to us through the knowledge of God and they're activated in our lives by faith. God has to provide the promises and faith receives them. So you, what's this got to do with chartering a course for 2016? Everything. Because our words are building blocks of our lives. Let's prophesy a good future. God's blessing just don't drop off us out of the sky on us. I think Kenneth Hagin used to say, like cherries off a ripe tree. And God's will doesn't automatically come to pass in our lives. God does not force his will upon us. He doesn't make, make, make people get saved. He doesn't make people get healed. He just doesn't make... It just hasn't automatic. He just doesn't make us do things. Well, he, otherwise, he'd make you pay your tithes and give offerings. Always gets quiet when you talk about money. It gets quiet when you talk about children. Funny about that. In Second Peter, chapter three, verse nine, it says that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, that that all should come to repentance. How many does it say? All. Well, everybody knows all 73%, right? Now, I looked up this word in the Greek, 
I looked at this word all in the Greek, and you know what it means? Dave, you're smart. What do you think it means? No, it means all. It means all. How about 1 Timothy 2 verse 4? It says, God who desires all men, there's all again, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. How about in Titus chapter 2 verse 11? It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to 64% of men. No, it says all. Everybody say all. Now that's amazing because if you look around, is all saved? All are not saved. But it's not because God hasn't provided it. Then this actually says here in the New English Bible, in the New Testament, it's just a, a New Testament translation, it says, for the grace of God has dawned upon the world with healing for some of mankind. Just the good-looking ones. No, it says, with healing for how many of mankind? All of mankind. So God's provided salvation, healing, deliverance for everybody, but his will doesn't automatically come into a person's life because we have a part to play. Yes? So God's grace, which is God's unearned, unmerited favour, grace, you don't have to deserve it. You don't have to work for it. It's awesome. What a deal. I love a freebie. And everything God's got for us for free. It wasn't free for God to produce it and get it to us. It cost a big price. But it's free for us. I love a free deal. We, I like the deals. Come on down. Has God got a deal for you today? If you need to get saved today and know that you're on your way to heaven, come on down. If you need healing today, guess what? You can receive your healing, your miracle today. Hallelujah. So God's grace, unmerited favour, has provided salvation healing, but it needs to be received by faith. How do we access into this God's grace? It says in Romans 5 verse 2 that we have access by faith into this grace. Notice two parts. We have access by faith into this grace. Everybody say faith. Everybody say grace. Two parts. There's two parts. The God side and the man side. Now, Pastor Tony especially asked me to talk about this today because it's really, really important. If you try and do the God side, oh, that'll be very difficult. And if you don't get the man part right, that could be really difficult. So you've got to know whose part is doing what part. Which part's your part? Which is God's part? How about, here's a good example. The God side is in Luke 1 verse 37, for with God all things will be possible. That's the God side. And that's good. 
And a man came to Jesus one day with his son who'd been sick and he said, Lord, my son's an epileptic, has fits and that, gets thrown in the fire, brought him to the disciples, they couldn't do any good. He said, if you can do anything, help me. So God didn't say to him, Jesus didn't say to him, well, all things are possible, God. He took the responsibility, the man has to take a responsibility and he said in Mark 9 verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who can believe. Gee, they're doing a good job with those slides. Thank you for that. Awesome. He didn't say to him, all things are possible with God. No, there's a God side, there's a man side. If you understand how to get the God side and the man side together, you'll see miracles. Every time. I said every time, all the time, on purpose. Let's go to Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Here we have, again, we have grace and faith. But grace alone, as we saw, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all mankind. Titus 2 verse 11, we already looked at that. Doesn't make it automatic in a person's life. We have to receive God's grace by faith. Amen? Now, in case somebody wants to get... God's grace alone doesn't save us. Now, in case somebody is going to get contentious, in verse 5, which we're not going to put up here, it says, for by grace you have been saved, in parenthesis, in chapter 5 of Romans, oh, sorry, um, Ephesians 2. And if you want to emphasise, yes, we can't do anything to save ourselves, that's, that's right, you, for by grace we have been saved, in verse 5. Now, it's not incomplete, but it's, in, uh, it's not incorrect, but it's incomplete, because God's grace alone won't save you, it's only when you put your trust in God's grace the two working together it's grace through faith grace through faith the two working together so we got grace as the God side faith is the man side we need to know what's God's part and what's man part and what our part is and how to do it grace is what God does independent of us has nothing to do with us, Grace. Grace does that totally independent of you. It has nothing to do with you whatsoever. It's unearned, unmerited favour. God's willingness to use his power on your behalf even though you don't deserve it. Now, faith is our response to God's grace. God has done, I like Pastor Tony said this, and I did like your illustration with the, the elephant and the mouse across the thing. That was awesome. I'm not going to tell you again. You don't have to listen to it online. God does the big pastor. Pastor Tony's always talking about this. God has done all the heavy lifting. I love it because it's going to make it easy. Easy for me. It's the easiest thing in the world for you to receive healing. I said it's easy. Tell your neighbour and say it's easy. Don't stress. Don't fret piece of cake God's got it covered hallelujah 
He's done all the heavy lifting for us to provide all that we need to have an abundant life, a victorious life, but we still know how to need to receive it by faith. Amen? So grace is what God does for us, independent of us. Has nothing to do with you. And you know what's good about this? It doesn't matter if you're ugly or you're good looking, whether you're tall or short, or what color your skin is. Grace is available for you because it has nothing to do with you. Faith is what we do in response to God's grace. Now, this is, the, this is what we must get the correct balance between the two or we'll end up frustrated and legalistic. It's like the two ditches. We all talk about the two ditches on the side of the road. Oh, my. Okay, so I go to Stanthorpe a lot, have cousins, relatives there, and they have these tracks in the granite. No bitumen. And on one side there's a big furrow where the water's washed away, the other side's a big furrow. But you know what, if you want to go anywhere, you've got to stay in the, what? The middle. And it's a tendency for a people, all of us I think, to stay balanced, to stay in the middle. And we need to have the correct balance between God, the God part, and our part, the balance of grace and faith. Amen? The two bitches are both bad, so we need to live and move down the middle of the track. And if we don't understand this, God's grace can be vain in our life. Oh, beautiful. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10, Paul, the Apostle Paul says this, For I am the least of the apostles, who is not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Amen. We don't want God's grace to be vain in our lives, do we? So he's already provided everything we need to have an abundant life. So if it's not going well for us, guess where the blockage is? Is, is it at God's end because he hasn't provided? Or us who's not receiving God's grace? Say, so that's bad. You're condemning me. No, I'm actually giving you an answer because I'm telling you where the blockage is. And if it's us, listen, you can't make God do anything. If the blockage is at my end, guess what? I can change. I can make adjustments. And if we get stuck on one side, either too much grace, extreme grace, or extreme faith, we're going to get into a bunch of trouble. So if we look at the ditch on one side, the overemphasis on grace, then it's all up to God. He's going to save everybody he wants to save. He's going to heal who he wants to heal, and if it's not his will to heal anybody, it's not going to be healed. It's k Sarah Sarah doctrine. Whatever will be, will be. No responsibility Christianity. No fault religion. Oh, it's not my fault. If Pastor Tony was here, he's going to laugh because listen to these two next words. Passively waiting. He laughs when I say that. If we put it all under God, well, it's all up to God. If he wants me to be blessed, I'll be blessed. 
If he wants me to be healed, I'll be healed. Passively waiting will not do the job. I think Kenneth Hagin used to say, you can't lie around, what did he say? He said, you can't lay around like a bump on a log, waiting for something to happen. Well, somebody said, oh, I've prayed about it, maybe healing or something. I'm just waiting on God. You're never waiting on God. You're never waiting on God. He's waiting on for you to get into faith to believe and receive. He's already done his part. We're never waiting on God. It's not God's turn. God already had his turn 2,000 years ago when he sent Jesus. Guess whose turn is it? Our turn to believe and receive. You're all here, gone home. Okay, all right. All right. This passive attitude renders the person who thinks this way inactive and powerless, a victim of circumstances. Many people have died by so-called, in inverted commas, so-called waiting on God. This is ignorance gone to seed. This concept, this case, hurrah, hurrah, whatever will be, can and will kill you. I can't be more... I'm just a truthful person. Listen, if you said to me this morning before church, I'm going to go to the coast after church and we're going to turn out here and we're going to head north to go to the Gold Coast. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm a nice person. I'm just not going to tell them. And we're just going to keep going north up the highway until we hit the Gold Coast. So oh, I'm a nice person. I would want to say, I'm going to say, hey, you're going the wrong way. The Gold Coast is south. Oh, but they might get upset or offended. They should thank me. Think of all the fuel they're going to save. And the kids saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Of course you're not there because you're going the wrong way. John 10.10, spinning wheel of the Bible. Jesus said the thief, hey listen, don't get me mixed up with this guy. But the thief comes to kill, to steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. These are opposites. We need to know who is behind or what is behind what is happening to us and we need to know whether to resist it or assist it. James chapter 4 verse 7. Therefore submit to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist means to actively fight against. Submit to what is of God and to resist what is not of God. Resist what is not. Resist anything that is stealing, anything that is killing, anything that is destroying. That's what you need to resist. Amen? We don't want to resist God and submit to the devil, do we? 
God's will doesn't automatically come to pass in our lives, we have a vital part to play. That's one side of the ditch. Can we look at the other side now? The other side of the ditch is a wrong belief that faith is what we do to gain a response from God. I'll say it again because this is real important. A mistaken concept that faith is what we do to gain a response from God. I often call it a confession frenzy. That is mistaken for faith. A false belief that our actions alone are producing results and it's all up to us. That's a big burden to bear. For all of you that have... Okay. People sometimes misunderstand, misapply faith in the area of confession. They're trusting in what they are doing. Confessing out of desperation, almost like a chant. Now listen, it is good to confess God's word. Don't say that I'm not, but you've got to make sure the, re the reason, the why behind the what you're doing. Some people confess the word 5,000 times and all of a sudden God moves or they get healed or what something and they think, well, bless God, look at that. Faith, my faith is moving God. Faith, and hence the thing, faith moves God. Faith doesn't move God. God's not the one who's stuck. Faith, God has already moved 2,000 years ago. He provided for you through his grace long before you were born, long before you ever had a need, long before you ever had a problem. You think, oh, God, i got a problem. Oh, Jesus, they've got a problem. What are we going to do? We don't have to do anything. Jesus said, it is finished because it's already done. We've just got to go to the answer book. We don't need to confess and think to try and make God to move. When you get into that thing, trying to make God move, my faith is moving God, there is no rest. There is no peace. There is no joy. That is religious. That is religion. And religion never, ever has an answer. You'll be on the treadmill of this work thing over and over trying to make God do something that he's already done and you are not in a receiving mode. Some people believe... I've already covered that. Confessing the word, guess what? It's good to confess the word. It's good to read the word, but you're not doing it for God's benefit. It's for your benefit. And it may take you to confess the word by Jesus' stripes. I was healed by Jesus' stripes. I was by Jesus' stripes. I am healed. And it might take you 5,000 times confessing it because on the 5,000th time you believed it and you received it. But it is not to get God to move God is not the one who is stuck. Is this all right? I'm a nice guy. I hope I don't. I'm, not, I'm just angry at the devil. I'm angry if people have been lied to. 
There is absolutely no reason, there is no excuse why you can't be healed right today, right now. You can be healed sitting in your seat, minding your own business. It happens all the time in our meetings. So if you get healed just sitting in your seat, don't blame me. You can blame God for it. Because Jesus is walking up and down the rows here now and you can just touch him by faith as he walks by. We need to be like the Apostle Paul. We don't want God's grace to be, be vain in our lives. We need to labour more than you all, confess the word and speak the word, not to get God to move, not to get God to move, but for us to get rid of our hard heart and unbelief in areas that we haven't come into faith yet. Say amen or ouch. So you need to know if you're confessing unto faith or you're making a confession of faith. Because before you can make a confession of faith, you might have to confess the words over and over and over. How many times until you get to believe it? Does everybody understand where I'm coming from? Please do not go to Pastor Tony and say, that guy David said, we don't need to confess the word or read the word. Have I said that today? Is this on tape? Because I never said that. I'll be in trouble. And I couldn't say that. You know why? Because the other business doesn't work. You can't receive the grace of God until you know about it. Oh my gosh. Okay. I just finished my introduction. Why do we need to confess God's word? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And faith doesn't come from having heard. It's a continuous tense in the Greek. You might have faith for healing today. But in a few, few weeks' time, you're letting that part slip, what you're not up on, you're down on, and you may not be at that place. So we have to continually have, be seeking God, confessing the word over our lives, not in order to get God to move, but for us to continue in faith. Faith is meant to be a lifestyle. This, this year about our confession, our words, it's meant to be a lifestyle of believing and speaking God's word. Christianity is not a short sprint. It's a marathon. Well, I'm halfway there. Faith only receives... Faith only receives what God's grace has already provided. Now, a preacher told me the story once, and this goes back some 40 years ago, but there was a lady who had a Bible college in Arlington, Texas. And she got a hold of Mark 11.23 and Mark 11.24, which says, Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, and you shall have them. And now I said people can misapply faith, make some terrible mistakes. And she desired, her desire was, because of Mark 11.23, her desire was to marry Kenneth Copeland. Only one problem, that Kenneth Copeland was married to Gloria Copeland. So she desired, she, she said, well, he, I'm just going to believe he's going to be my husband. So she cursed Gloria to die and get out of the way. And at her Bible school, she had a mock wedding and they got married in the spirit 
Now that was some 40 years ago. Now I don't know what happened to that woman. But I do know that Kenneth and Gloria Copeland are still married today. And why didn't that work? Because God's grace, Christ's atonement, did not provide us to use our faith to kill somebody else's spouse, marry the other party and commit adultery. It's not there in God's grace. It's not there in the atonement. It can't work. How about, you know, I, got, I know God wants to prosper me financially. So you know what? God wants to be blessed. I'm going to rob a bank and steal a million dollars and they will not catch me in Jesus' name. I can have what I say. And you know why that's not going to work? Because the atonement doesn't provide stealing and thievery. It's not there. So we need a balance between the God side, the man side, between the grace and our faith. And all these things that we do are using our words, our confession. Our confession has to be in line with what God has already said, what God has already promised us. And we need to understand whether we're confessing, making a confession of faith or a confession unto faith. Amen? Jesus told the parable, sorry, the, no, he didn't pass in the parable. He demonstrated about the, how this operates. Mark eleven twenty three. whoever says to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes those things he said will come to pass, that person will have whatever they say. Saying is mentioned three times. Believing is mentioned once. It's going really bad. My life is horrible. Check up on what you've been saying. People come forward maybe for healing. They get prayed for. If it doesn't happen instantly, the last thing they say, well, I went forward with healing but it didn't work. Well, it's working for you because Jesus said the last thing he said in Mark eleven twenty three, you're going to have what you say. And what's the last thing you said? It didn't work. Well, you should have given it a chance because when Jesus cursed the fig tree, that tree died from the roots instantly according to Matthew's gospel. But you didn't see the effects of it until 24 hours later. And if Jesus was going by what we could see, he could see, he's not going to say it didn't work because God only says what he wants to come to pass. Confession precedes possession. Confession precedes possession. The woman with the issue of blood, she heard about Jesus. She said it. She did it. She received it and she told it. Amen. Now in... Um, Hebrews 3 verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of your heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of, your, of our confession, Christ Jesus. In the old King James, it translates this word confession as profession. Profession is something that you do as a living. It's what you are. It's who you are. It's what you do. So our lifestyle for charting our course for 2016 
our confession or our possession, who we are and what we do, our lifestyle, is believing and speaking, 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 believing and speaking. What is it? Our lifestyle is a what? Ah, but you're already doing that. It's more than just believing and speaking because you're going to have what you say. It's believing and speaking God's word. 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 Amen. So far, so far today, just recapping really quickly. We've talked about just then that scripture in Hebrews that Christianity is often referred to as the great confession. I've talked today understanding whether you're making a confession unto faith. A third thing, you need to understand that you need to get to the point where you can make a confession of faith. And don't think when you're confessing unto faith that you are moving God. Faith doesn't move God. Faith is a receiver. Amen. Is it possible to believe in God yet not be connected? Oh, absolutely. I've met people all the time in the street. I'll talk to people and I say, it's amazing, isn't it? I say to them, do you believe that Jesus is God's son? They say, yeah, of course. I taught that as a Sunday school. I said, but do you believe that God raised you from the dead? And they said, yes. I said, are you saved? Oh, I don't know. You're going to heaven, wouldn't have a clue. But I said, you, you believe everything you need to get saved. Can we go to, um, oh, now let's go to James chapter 2, verse 19. So people can believe in God, yet not be connected to God. You believe that there is one God. Whoopee-doo. I think this is the most sarcastic scripture in the Bible. Oh, hooray, believe in God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, Oh, man, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Can we go to John 14 verse, sorry, John 12 verse 42? It says, nevertheless, even amongst the rulers, many believed in him. Everybody say believed in him. They believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. I want to talk to you about the last and most important confession you could ever make in a person's life, anybody's life. This confession affects your eternal destiny. This is more important than confessing, swearing in the President of the United States. It's more important when you walk down the aisle with your lovely bride or your lovely husband and you say, I do. This is a confession unto salvation. Can we put up Romans 8 verses 9 and 10? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess, who's doing the confessing? You are doing the confessing. You know, people go to church and they run through a prayer and you might talk to them later and say, are you saved? Well, they said, that preacher said I was saved. Well, that's no good. What do you say? Well, I'm just not sure. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised you from the dead, you 
will be saved. For with the heart one believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is the most important confession you could ever make in anybody's life, your life. If anybody's here today and you don't know if you're saved, if you don't know that if you were to die, that you would go to heaven, or you're just not sure, we want you to be sure today, and you can be sure, based on God's word. So I want everybody to just close their eyes, and I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me. Say, God in heaven, I realise that it is impossible for me to save myself. I am charting a new course for my life. I now confess and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. So with my confession, I am now saved. I thank you for saving me and all my sins are forgiven. I now have eternal life. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.